It's time for CBB 365 with your hosts, Adam Hipsky and Patrick Dallahan. Okay, and welcome to this episode of CBB 365. Great episode on hand for you all today. ESPN's Chris Spatola joins us to talk about not only this year in college hoops, but also his past experiences. Has a great couple of stories that he shares with us about being in the Army uh, during a historic time in America. Uh, And then we break from him, and Patrick and I uh, discuss this week in college hoops as well as some Christmas Day college basketball. So without further ado, ESPN's Chris Spatola. All right, so now we're joined by Chris Patola, a former Army West Point guard and current ESPN College Hoops analyst and SiriusXM radio host. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, man. Happy holidays. It's good to be here with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Um, All right, let's get right into it. You ended up playing all four of your uh, all four years of your college career at Army West Point and are now of now on many of the all-time leaderboards um was playing at a military academy something you had your eye on in high school or even before that no it wasn't uh it's a great question um you know i think a lot of times when people end up at a military academy it was somewhere along the way in the plans and it wasn't for me um i just i wanted to play division one basketball i wasn't heavily recruited Uh, i'm not that impressive to look at so uh, anytime I play in an AAU tournament, I played well typically, but you had to really, uh, really look deeply to, to, to discover the true essence of Spatola. So they recruited me. Uh, I went on the visit. My parents really enjoyed the visit. And when we got back, they made it pretty clear that uh, West Point was probably the best thing for me. So that's that's how I ended up there. And you mentioned the essence of Spatola. What what is the essence of Spatola exactly? Is it, is it your an, passing ability? Is it your ability to finish? Like what what exactly is that? That's an excellent follow up. Nicely done. Um, Thank you. What is the essence of Spatola? Well, you know, I refuse to be beaten. I refuse to be outworked. I refuse mm-hmm. to be um, out toughed. Uh, all of those things that I control. Uh, I made it, I was determined to make sure that I controlled them in the right way. Um, and that's not to say I wasn't a good player. Uh, I, I was probably more of a volume shooter than anything else, but I, yeah. I could score a little bit and I could play a little bit, but um, I always had those intangibles, good leader, tough, plays hard, all, all those kinds of things. Yeah. Having obviously played at West Point now covering countless other programs, sort of on the recruiting point, what differences have you seen in the way West Point was run as opposed to a Duke or a UNC or Kentucky? Yeah. Um, you almost had to fit basketball in to the, the cadet schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, I mean, when I was at Duke or, or even now traveling around and looking at other programs, it's almost like everything else is fit into the basketball side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes summertime, you know, one of the, the big training military training periods of, of the, of the school year at West Point is during the summer. So you'd go and you do some course, you know, airborne school or mm-hmm. something like that during your summers, which is, as you guys know, it's most of the time that players are becoming better, you know, is, is the summer. So you didn't have your summers, uh, your academic schedule was, was pretty rigorous and it didn't really let up. 
uh, even during the basketball season. Now you would, all your classes would be in the early part of the day so that you could have practice in the afternoon. So, you know, a lot of it was, was basketball trying to fit into all of the other cadet experience types of things, which, which got tough at times. Yeah. You then go from 17 points a game in the Patriot League to serving in the U.S. Army for five years, and you were pretty good at it, too. I mean, two commendation medals for exceptional performance. Was it difficult to sort of let go of the basketball player inside of you while, while you were deployed, or was basketball still always kind of in the back of your mind even while you served? It was always in the back of my mind, you know, and I think for two reasons. One, basketball is all I had done to that point in my life. It had gotten me to where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you guys are, are younger, but I, I think for context, it's important to understand that when I decided to go to West Point, it was pre 9-11. So the army, the military at the time when I committed to, to West Point was uh, it was downsizing. It was an army at peace. 9-11 hadn't happened yet. And then my senior year at army, 9-11 happened. So. I had no, I had no vision of ever, you know, going to combat or, or doing things that I ultimately ended up doing in the military. Uh, so basketball was, was always at the forefront. And then, you know, the other reason is there are a lot of similarities between being in the military and being an athlete, being on a team. And so there were a lot of things that I learned as an athlete or knew as an athlete that I applied then to, to being an officer in the service. So there was, there was a lot of overlap there that again, reminded me of, of my time as a basketball player. When you were deployed, you obviously said it was post nine 11. Did you notice like a big jump in the amount of people that were serving at that point? Yeah, it was a different mission. You know, it was, um, you know, when, when I went to West point, uh, Bill Clinton was still the president and, you know, again, we hadn't really been in a conflict, a major conflict as an army. So, you know, there were political ramifications. There were, in terms of downsizing the military, mm-hmm. there, was a, there was a practical uh, implication of, of not needing the size force that we had. And then, of course, those towers in New York City came down and it changed the mission of the United States and of the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you saw a difference in terms of what the mission was. And I knew as soon as those towers came down that what I was going to be doing in the military was going to be vastly different than what I had expected to be doing. So that was the big change. You know, the, the mindset, the frame of mind, the mission of what the army was doing. Yep. And then another thing is we talk about nine 11, it was during your senior year. What do you, what can you tell us? What do you remember about the day from someone that that's in West point? It was it was crazy. And we knew pretty early that it was terrorism. You know, I think when it when the towers were first hit, at least the first one, you know, the the thought was that it was a mistake or it was a dra- you know tragic accident, something like that. And then when the second one hit and once we started, you know, word getting around, um, you know, because we were privy, obviously, at the, at the military academy, you're privy to information that that others maybe aren't certainly mm-hmm. more quickly. So. We knew it was a, it was a terrorist attack. Uh, I remember there being a lot of briefings that day because, of course, West Point's in New York State, and and the attack happened in New York City, among other other cities. But um, we were a high value target, so we locked down. We got all these these anti terrorism brief, briefings and and all of that. So it was it was a pretty wild day. We hadn't started our season yet, so it didn't 
you know, mm-hmm. not that that matters, but it didn't really affect anything we were doing basketball wise, but it was, it was a pretty hectic day. And then moving, moving off of uh, that heavy uh, topic in nine 11, but going, going to Duke, you spent a good time, a good, a good bit of time on coach K's staff at Duke. What have you been able to learn from him? Not only in your time with him on the basketball court, but, but off the court as well. Yeah. Just how to, you know, how to, how to lead, um, how to adapt. You know, I think one of the thing, great things about coach K is, you know, he has changed over time in his tone and how he delivers his message and how he extracts the best out of his teams. He, he has evolved and changed over time, but his value system. So the things that he learned at West Point playing for Bob Knight, the things he learned in the military as an officer, the, the things he will, he doesn't compromise those things, you know, so as he's had to adapt to different generations and how to coach, he's still doing it with the same value set that made him who he was when he first started. Uh, so I learned that, um, you know, he's a very secure leader, which is to say he allows people who work for him to do their job. Uh, he's not a big micromanager, which I learned a lot from. Uh, he's a tireless worker, which I think people, people think when you get to a certain level in your career that you can kind of coast or you have a lot of people who do things for you. Uh, he's still a, a really hard worker, uh, which was very, uh, which was a great lesson and, and, and very impactful for me. So it's a lot of things. He's just, he, he's an, ex- he's been around a long time. He's got great institutional knowledge and the way he applies that now is in a way that's not so overbearing. And, um, and I obviously have tremendous respect for him. Uh, yeah. And obviously something that a lot of people may not know about you is that you served as a coach for the redeem team in 2008 yeah. and uh, won a gold medal at the Olympics in Beijing. And, can you describe the experience of being around the late Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and Carmelo Anthony and that entire team and being able to go out there and achieve your goal of winning the gold medal, which our country hadn't done in eight years? Yeah, it was an amazing experience. It was it, it, it was surreal at the start, you know, because these I mean, these guys that you have seen at the highest levels of of the game of basketball, you're now in the same gym, you're rebounding for them. You're doing all of these things that you would never expect you'd be able to do. Um, You know, Kobe was, was the most impressive figure. Uh, When we, the, the, the first year that, so I didn't do 2006. I was actually, I was getting back from Iraq when they first started that and hadn't gotten out of the military yet. So the team had lost to Greece that year. The next year was the first year that I wasn't completely uh, coaching yet. It was my first summer with, with, uh, with Coach K and with Duke. Uh, but then the following summer was when we were gearing up for the Olympics, like you said, in Beijing. And um, he was amazing. You know, it was, it was really cool to see how different he was with the USA team, Coach K, than he was with his Duke team it was interesting to see how those guys responded to him and how he changed his tone to fit how those go, those guys like to be coached. Um, LeBron James was very different at the beginning of that Olympic experience than he was by 2012 in London. He had grown up. He was, you know, he was different. Uh, It was incredible, you know, to see that team come together. And there was a lot of pressure that, you know, I think that was a lot of thing. Another part of that, that people didn't understand how much pressure there was, 
to win and to get this thing back to, to what it was. So it was, it was an incredible experience. And uh, let's shift gears a little. You can put on your analyst hat and we'll talk a hectic college basketball season, but um, uh, with, we'll start with perhaps the biggest story in college basketball thus far, uh, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, number one ranked team in the country. Yeah. I guess the question is, have you seen anything from them that suggests that they aren't operating on a whole nother level than the rest no. of the field right now? No, I haven't seen anything uh, to tell me that. They, you know, I've said a number of times on air that th- this is the deepest, probably the best team that Mark Few has had in his 22 mm-hmm. seasons as the head coach. And he's had some really good teams. That team in 2016 was incredibly deep and really good. But, I mean, they're two to three deep at almost every position uh they can play in the post through drew timmy who i i think is outside of luca garza is probably the most efficient post player in the league in the in the in college basketball uh cory kispert just going to the last game they had against virginia was was phenomenal can he, really he was incredible yesterday yeah he's really good um you know and then you add in some some guards some veteran guards and then a jalen suggs i mean they're, they're really really talented they play offense at a level that you don't see as much around college basketball anymore just because of how much the game has changed. Um, and they'll guard you as well. They got a lot of fouls to give. They, they, they have a lot of bodies so they can play hard. They're really good. And then this is kind of, this is kind of a question we've had on the show for, for a while now, but earlier this season, you did some games at the crossover classic in South Dakota uh, so can you help us dispel a question we've had on this show? Is the analog clock the only way to tell game time in the Pentagon? <laughs> no, thank God. Thank God. I, I didn't even understand. I kept asking Dan Dockich. We were out there together, and I kept asking him to explain. It was part of my joke uh, how old he is. But um, I, I still didn't understand exactly how the analog clock works. So fortunately, uh, there were plenty of clocks in the building that function the normal way and then of course during the game we had the score bug on the on the monitor in front of us so i was i was taken care of dockage is an old guy so i i figured he'd be able to do it <laughs> yeah he was old he although he's not great at explaining things and i still don't i still don't think he quite understood what it, how it worked or anything but he was, <laughs> of course he's always the expert yeah as, as many know by his Twitter. By the way, I say this all in jest. Dockage is is uh, fantastic. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's been on our. He he was our yeah. first guest on our show. Actually, okay. he's he's the best. He, he's a he's a character. Yeah. And then sticking with that tournament in South Dakota, the big name in that field was West Virginia. Obviously, there were teams that dropped out, but uh, at the at the end of it uh, was West Virginia, who who did win that tournament. They haven't been able to really land a huge win yet with their losses to Kansas and Gonzaga, but. They've looked dominant virtually everywhere else. What did you see from them that maybe separates from the West Virginia teams that we're used to seeing that that are more focused on their defense? That and this year they're scoring 80, 90 points. You know, what have you seen from them that yeah. really separates them from past Bob Huggins teams? Well, the strength of their team, and I, I've done them a lot over the last couple of years. The the strength of their team is their front court. Mm-hmm. But you know, it takes a, it takes big guys longer to adjust to the college game unless you're, you know, an exceptional, exceptional talent. It just does. It takes big guys longer. And then it, in particular, if you're going to play those two big guys together, which Coach Huggins does, plays Derek Culver and Oscar Sheboy together, it, it, it takes time. You know, so Culver's a junior now. Sheboy's a sophomore. They've got a year of playing together under their belt. 
Um, one of the things they really struggled with last year is, is finishing around the basket, which they're doing better this year. Uh, and then perimeter shots, you know, they, they did not have the ability to make perimeter shots last year. They, they do this year. Uh, Miles McBride is, has gotten better in his sophomore year, but then they have a, a kid named Sean McNeil who's making threes and Taz Sherman who's making threes and making perimeter shots. So there's more balance to what they're doing offensively that I think has, has helped them. And um, again, it's a deep team. I mean, they, you know, they go two guys at each position and he can kind of play who he feels comfortable with. Uh, I did a game against Iowa. They were playing Iowa state uh, before Christmas and they weren't real good from the foul line. They didn't make many perimeter shots, but down the stretch of that game, they, they guarded, they defended uh, and then they got enough, uh, enough baskets, particularly from their front court. So they, they've got really good balance this year, more than they've had. Uh, another team you've covered a lot this season so far is Florida State, which unlike West Virginia is pretty much the epitome of their coaches' teams over the years. Uh, they beat Indiana. They beat Florida. They beat Georgia Tech to open up ACC play. Even with the blip on the radar, the loss to UCF, do you think this team has a chance to be Leonard Hamilton's most successful Florida State team considering the state of the ACC? I'm not there yet. Uh, I did their UCF game, um, and there were some plays late. You know, they they had a guy uh, last few years named Trent Forrest who was so good for them late in yep. games. And, you know, they played Indiana, Florida State, earlier in the season, and they – um, it went to overtime and Scotty Barnes actually made some really good plays in overtime. Hadn't been good throughout the game, made some really good mm -hmm. plays in overtime. The problem with the UCF game, uh, they weren't as good defensively. And that was where last year and even the year before they've been so, so good defensively. Yeah. They weren't as good defensively in that UCF game. And they, they, they made some uncharacteristically poor decisions late. You know, MJ Walker had a bad pass late. That was costly. Um, so, I think they can be very good. And, and to be honest with you, I think they're, they're playing or they are the best team right now in the Atlantic coast conference, but th that team last year had a chance to win a national championship. I mean, that team I, I, I think they so would good. have won. Yeah. In my, in, yeah. in my humble opinion, I don't know anything though. So <laughs> no, you're on it, man. Yeah, you're on it. They, they had a great shot last year. All, all respect to, to Dayton and San Diego state and some of those other teams that were good. Florida State, I thought, was the best team. Um, so this team this year is not quite there yet, but uh, they certainly have a chance to be very good again. Well, they they also hung that banner. What was that rate? Or uh, uh, the fit top four finalist. Yeah. Top four, top four finalist in the cancellation. Yeah. I can't believe that banner's real. Like yeah. a bit off topic. Yeah, yeah. They, I hadn't seen it in uh, during the first game. I did their Florida game and. Mm they showed our producer showed us the camera shot of it. Cause I was doing the broadcast from my house and it does, it says canceled, you know, uh, it is a real banner. It's hanging up there. It's right next to Bobby Sura's uh, retired Jersey, which oh. is pretty cool. And then real quick, real quick before this question, you mentioned you've done broadcasts at home. What's yeah. that like? You know, obviously you're so used to just being in the facility, in the arena, doing games. What's different. What's it like doing them at home? It's different. You know, we, we've done a game. I've done games in the past. Uh, they call them Remy games where you do them from a studio. You know, I either go to Bristol or Charlotte and, and you do the game from a studio. 
So I've done games remotely before, uh, never one from the house. Uh, very convenient. The media meal is outstanding. You just walk upstairs and, uh, and, and partake in the media meal. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing like being in the building. And, you know, there are things you can see in the building and, and comment on and document that you just can't see from your house. You know, you've mm -hmm. got the game on a monitor. And um, it's amazing that we're able to do it. It's amazing that the quality, I don't think you, unless you knew I was at my house, I don't think you'd really know. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty remarkable. But um, it was tough. First game was tough, but I've, I've gotten used to it since. And it's, you know, in a pretty good routine with it. Uh, let's take a step back and stay on the ACC as a whole. It seems like every team in the top half of the ACC has some holes or a tough loss on the May. Like obviously, we talked about this FSU to USF. Duke has two big losses to Michigan State and Illinois. UNC got bodied by Iowa and lost a close one to Texas. Virginia lost early to San Francisco. And yesterday, they lost big to Gonzaga. Considering how last year went and the apparent strength of the Big Ten and Big 12, do you think the ACC has reason to fear the loss of their spot as a premier conference? Yeah, I think this year it certainly does. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, the conference to conference comparison has gotten a little bit apples to oranges and I'm not, I'm not trying to save the ACC here. I, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have a dog in the fight, but it's become a little bit apples and oranges, which is to say, like, I think pound for pound, I think the big 12 is the best conference, but if you're, which, you know, because they have 10 teams now, mm -hmm. the big 10 has 15 and you know, you're and so does the ACC. And so you're, you're talking about trying to rain, maintain a relative strength across that number of teams. That's pretty tough. I think the top of the big 10 is very good this year. Um, I'm not necessarily sold at those teams at the top, are better than any of the teams at the top of the big 12 or, or the teams that will ultimately be at the top. Um, I'm a big believer that you have to do it. You know, we can anoint a team and say, wow, that's the best team. But the only team who's really done it there in the big 10 is, is Michigan state. You know, Iowa has the best player in the country in Garza, but let's see, let's see them do it. Let's see some of these teams in the big 10, the Illinois that are very good this year. Let's see them do it when it comes time to win big, the big 10, the big 12, you've got Texas tech. That's been to a final four. You've got Kansas. We know they're good. Baylor was going to have a great shot last year. Again, a team that you still want to see do it. Um, look, West Virginia has, has been to final fours and, you know, again, let, let's see them do it. The Atlantic coast conference is tough because those teams at the top, uh, Virginia has not played well as of yet. Uh, I think they will be good, kind of like last year. They will be good by the, the end of the season. Uh, Louisville is missing a lot of guys, and I, I still think by the end of the year, I think they have a chance, given the backcourt they have, uh, which I think is the best in the ACC. I think they have a chance mm -hmm. to be good if they can get Malik Williams healthy. And then Duke and Carolina are young. You know, Their best players are young players. Uh, Garrison Brooks hasn't been ACC player of the year yet, so – I think there's still a lot to be determined. The top of the league hasn't played well. Um, you know, we'll see if that, that sort of middle class of the league, the Georgia Techs, the Clemsons, the Virginia Techs, if Syracuse, if those teams can be good. So I, I think that's probably third in the list of power, power five, power six conferences right now. But we got a long way to go. And then if you're one of those middle-of-the-pack ACC teams, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, North Carolina State, Georgia Tech, Clemson, name a, name a few, yeah. are you approaching things any differently right now, knowing in the back of your head that the conference is 
seemingly up for grabs by by a middle class team for the first time in many years when you talk about Duke and North Carolina and Virginia have usually uh, controlled that conference? Yeah, I think there's two parts to that. First of all, yeah, I think I think the way that those teams have played and the composition of those teams, Carolina, Duke in particular, I think you, you, you could feel very confident playing against them if you're one of those teams. Um, because one of the things that those three teams that you mentioned have in common, they all defend really hard and really well. And, and I think could give, you know, Duke has not been great offensively. Carolina still struggles, goes through stretches where they, they struggle offensively. I think those two, those teams in the middle can really guard them. Here's the other thing, guys, with no fans in these arenas, you take a big, that's a big cut from, from Duke's mojo playing at home. And Carolina too. Carolina, sometimes the Dean Dome gets a bad rap. Fans not being in these arenas, and I've seen it in the Big 12 so far. Road teams have been, played very well so far in conference play. And I think we're going to see that in the ACC. I mean, look, Duke's already lost, you know, two good teams in Michigan State and Illinois, but they've already lost two games at home. You know, so the, the, with no fans in these arenas, I think that's another significant thing that 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 top of the league is going to have to grapple with because those teams at the top of the league typically have some of the best home court advantages in the in the ACC and uh with that question uh that'll do it for us that's all the questions we have for you um Chris that's thank it? you so yeah that's it painless that's it yeah it was <laughs> yeah that was nice and easy like ripping off a band-aid no but um uh uh, thank you so much for joining us. This is a super fun interview. It was really nice to talk to you, see what you think about this season and your past experiences. Guys, it was my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Chris. Okay. And thank you, Chris Spatola, ESPN's Chris Spatola, for joining us on the show today. Appreciate him coming on and sharing all of his experiences with us. Uh, and we'll just get right into it. Uh, Patrick, Christmas Day. Happy holidays to you, my friend. Thank you. You too, Adam. Spent a good day of Christmas watching some college hoops. Not something you get to do very often. Of course. And, you know, Christmas Day hoops, you know, sometimes we'll get the Diamond Head Classic or, you know, we'll get something on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve. It's more of an NBA it's more of an NBA day. It's it's always been an NBA day. Uh, You know, obviously the NBA plays – uh, their day long slate uh, from 12 to 12, really. But Big Ten threw it in today, and it was really all eyes on the Big Ten. And I think that it was really a good move from the Big Ten. Uh, and it's it's hard for a visiting team to want to, you know, be not motivated, but yeah. you know, be encouraged to just go travel on Christmas Day. You know, like you look at Michigan traveling to Nebraska, not a big game, you know, traveling to Nebraska on Christmas Day. Like it's hard to really be, you know, excited about that. But uh, there's also a lot of players that were just excited that, you know, you grow up your whole life watching all those NBA players on Christmas Day. Uh, and obviously, you know, that that's a dream. You know, Christmas Day NBA games is, is one of your dreams to uh, to play on that stage. And you know, Big Ten kind of got, you know, eight of those teams kind of got a glimpse of that uh, playing on Christmas Day. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's not, you know, we'll see if the Big Ten continues to go with this in the future. I really think that – I really think they should because, I mean, all eyes were on them on Christmas Day. Uh, no other games. Even in Division One, uh, we're even playing. 
let alone power six conferences. So yeah, uh, I, I do think with- that next year when there's actual fans and stuff, if they choose to do it, then it's going to be a lot more fun and it's going to yeah, be a lot easier absolutely. for the players to get into it because there's fans and it's on yeah. like such a cool, it's a, such a different environment because it's Christmas. Like you see NBA, like normally NBA Christmas day games don't get that exciting, but the one that I went to last year, Sixers bucks, it was a super fun environment because it's not a very common thing, you know, at least for, for, the Sixers, but you know, then you're going to see teams with a new tradition and that's going to, that's going to create a lot of anticipation, especially rivalry games in a conference that's as competitive as the big 10. Of course. And, you know, getting into that Christmas day slate, Wisconsin, Michigan state, Wisconsin. I mean, looking real solid early, they came into this matchup as a top 10 program, went on the road to the Breslin center Obviously not the typical Breslin Center that we're used to seeing, but Wisconsin only has a, a road loss to Marquette in early December, mm-hmm. and that was a two-point loss off a of buzzer beater. Wisconsin looks really good early. Wins against Michigan State, dominated Louisville, uh, some solid wins against Loyola Chicago and Rhode Island. That probably get a little overlooked, but Wisconsin looks like a really solid team early on. Maybe maybe, maybe the best in the Big Ten with, with Iowa uh, adding a couple losses in, in the past mm-hmm. month. Michigan State's kind of on a little bit of a skid right now. Uh, they yeah. obviously lot. They obviously got um, clobbered by uh, Northwestern, Boo Booey, mm-hmm. and the uh, Wildcats in uh, Evanston, Illinois. And then they go in and they lose to a good Wisconsin team. I mean, the Wisconsin loss isn't nearly as bad as the Northwestern. Mm-hmm. The Northwestern loss because Wisconsin's a good team, and we've seen them prove that all over the season. But Wisconsin is another one of those teams in the Big Ten that could that has a really good shot of winning the Big Ten. There's like yeah. five or six teams in the Big Ten that could win it. And right now, like obviously Wisconsin, Michigan State, not so much as they were at the beginning of the season, Iowa, Rutgers, Illinois, maybe like maybe even Northwestern if they keep on playing like this. And like that's and and that's what I was gonna talk to you about. Northwestern, I mean a one-point loss in the Big Ten ACC Challenge to Pitt. They beat all of their they beat all of their bye games. They won all of those. Then they roll into Big Ten play. No one's really talking about them. Obviously, they're they're three and one because they win a bunch of games against obviously weaker opponents. They roll into Big Ten three and one. Mm-hmm. They lost to Pitt. You beat Michigan State. You go on the road to IU, and then you come back home and you knock off Ohio state three huge big 10 wins. They're three and in conference play. No one expected this preseason. No one really is expecting it. Now uh, the Wildcats the, have really the, taken everyone uh, by storm lately. And, and not even Justin, like, like it's kind of similar to football, like what they did in mm-hmm. football this year. Like they're project, they're usually like, you know, the doormat of the big 10 in football and basketball. And we're seeing this year that they're turning it around. Yeah, no, they're definitely taking a turn. And, and you can tell, obviously, you talked about this year in football, uh, made it to the Big Ten Championship. But this year in basketball. And, and they gave Ohio State a good game, too. Ohio State yeah. didn't stomp up. They were, they were leading after halftime, I want to say. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you know, Northwestern football has had a great year. But talking about Northwestern basketball, we knew that they would have good players. We knew about Miller Cop. We knew about Boo Booey. We knew about Pete Nance. Mm-hmm. But I did not expect them to play this well as a team, mm-hmm. at least well enough to beat Michigan State, IU, Ohio State, all in the span of six days. Six days. I mean, 
Sunday to Saturday, you play three games. You get one off day in between those, or you know, one or two off mm-hmm. days in between those. And I mean, that's a, that's an impressive showing. That's well coached. That that shows that those guys were well prepared. Chris Collins and the, and the staff put together a good game plan for all three of those games because at, at IU, I mean, I use no slouch this year. You know, mm-hmm. they might not be. It's running. obviously not. It's obviously not the same as a normal Indiana home game where yeah. assembly hall is packed of course but yeah but i use still a good team they're still a solid team and the big 10 the big 10 is just brutal this year i mean we've seen it and we're going to continue they've not they have that. nine ranked teams for this week's ap top 25 nine. nine nine ranked teams and you talk about the teams that aren't ranked iu purdue those are two really solid programs and then you talk about Maryland and you talk about Nebraska and, you know, may, you know, they're, they're on a down year and, and Penn state. So you really have 11. But no, but have- even then Penn state killed West Virginia, not West Virginia, Virginia tech. I mean, yeah. I mean, the big 10 just every night, you know, like you- it's just, it's just the fact that Penn state's not going to do well in the, uh, in the big 10 this year, that makes them look a lot worse than they are. But yeah. they're still a really solid team. Like they beat a ranked team by twenty points. And that's the thing. There's over a, a, a fifty. There's like a what seventy percent chance that you're going to play. A, if you're playing a Big Ten, if it's a Big Ten game, the chances are that you're playing a ranked opponent is high. You know, or high. And yeah. Northwestern's next five games are, are all against ranked opponents, and that's going to be the same for a lot of teams, really. I mean, the, the chances are, obviously, you know, Purdue, IU, and, and Maryland, Nebraska, Penn State. Nebraska's, Nebraska's struggling. But other than that, I mean, Maryland has shown that, that, they, could, that they could be all right. I mean, they're 5-3 and three right now. They, they made it close with Purdue on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they haven't really had a, a signature win, but – uh, they're gonna have plenty of opportunities for those, and, and so will yeah, everyone yeah. really in in the Big Ten. So, uh, no, Northwestern looks really good early. Uh, they've got a loaded week. They play Iowa and Michigan, uh, both on the road. So we'll see how they fare in those. But you know, even if they go zero and two this week, I still don't think it, it's fair to overlook them as a team that could make noise and <laughs> and not at all the Big Ten tournament and possibly even March. But the issue with the Big Ten and the issue with this many good teams is, and, and you know, say your opinion if you disagree, but Big Ten's going to play bumper cars. And, you know, a lot of these teams with no really solid top five, I think that a lot of teams that are towards the bottom of the Big Ten, like you think of like IU, even Ohio State, Northwestern, you know, some of those teams that, that could lose – way you know quite a few more conference games than you look at teams in like the acc yeah or teams in the or in the sec you know some of those teams might not lose as many conference games but won't be as good and i think that that's why this non-conference slate was so important for the big 10 was to show that that they've got guys that are better than than you know the middle of the pack teams and other conferences that yeah you know I think it was big for the Big Ten because you have Iowa, you have Wisconsin, you have uh, 
Michigan State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Michigan, you know, all those teams that you probably expected, Illinois, that you expected to get into the tournament. But, you know, you didn't really know about teams like like Minnesota or teams like uh, or teams like IU, teams like Purdue, teams like Northwestern. Yeah, yeah. Well, so the Big Ten, they're always known for bumper cars and teams losing odd games because, like, last year – we saw Nebraska take down multiple good teams at home. And that's usually how it works in the big 10. You mm-hmm. see the home team typically win. So everybody has a record that's around 500, like the big 10 last year, Wisconsin won. like coming into the year last year, like yeah. early into the season, you would have said Michigan or Michigan state would have won. Maybe Illinois, maybe Iowa. That's it. Wisconsin won. Like nobody really saw that coming into the season and that's the beauty of the big 10 it's everything that's good about college basketball the unpredictability of it you know the atmosphere is good you get guys that are good college basketball players but then guys that'll transition well to the nba so like you know it's it's the best conference in college basketball in my opinion yeah and wisconsin obviously stepped up crazy last year kobe yeah. king kobe king got dismissed in the middle of the season micah potter had a breakout year stepped up and and obviously this year you know we've seen so much from them already mm-hmm. they're so experienced i mean they're starting five their starting five is just it, and it's not like their loss was to a bad team like to like marquette is not bad they beat creighton yeah. like no no yeah and they not only beat creighton they beat them pretty handily they beat them yeah. by double digits yeah Marquette's a really solid team this year and on the road off a of buzzer beater you know that's a tough game so uh Wisconsin looks really good uh a potential one seed but the problem is is big Wisconsin's gonna lose a lot of games in conference play yeah and it's you know they're record, everyone you know, is so they're that's rec- the thing yeah yeah so their record obviously Gonzaga's a one seed Baylor looks like a one seed right now. So I haven't seen a good, you know, we still haven't seen a challenge from them, which I'm excited to see. You know, we haven't, you know, obviously we had that Baylor Gonzaga game get canceled. When do we think that's going to be played? I mean, I don't know because Gonzaga's conference, non conference ends this week. Obviously, they wrapped up that, uh, that domination <laughs> over Virginia, uh, which we'll get into. But mm-hmm. I mean, Baylor got Gonzaga canceled and they got Texas canceled. Obviously they still got to play Illinois beat them. They looked good in that Um, handled Washington, but Mm -hmm. we really won't see them play another game against a ranked opponent until middle January. So yeah. uh, Talking about one seeds. I mean, obviously you still think of, you still think of Gonzaga. I mean, or you still think of Baylor as a one seed. I think that, Right now, there's only two spots in the one seed open in the tournament. and Because uh, Gonzaga is going to more likely than not go undefeated this regular season. Especially when they cleared all of non-conference. Yeah, exactly. They, they have really no like other like fantastic teams on the schedule except for like BYU, who's solid. Mm, Pepperdine yeah. isn't bad. But uh, so if, if, if any of these teams that we've seen, if Kansas and – Virginia and all these other teams can't touch Gonzaga. I mean, Pepperdine and BYU aren't coming anywhere close. So yeah, exactly. But we saw we saw BYU have some good wins. They've played well this year, and Gonzaga, like obviously, they'll win. They're they're the best team in the country by far. 
No. But Baylor, obviously, another really solid team. Uh, they'll probably end up being the other one seed, in my opinion. But the other two are just open. They're up for grabs. Anyone can come and get them. Yeah, and you think, I mean, talking about one seeds, I'd say you, know, you, you, you probably think that Villanova and Kansas have them right now. But yeah, obviously a lot can change. But talking about a Big Ten team possibly getting a one seed, Villanova is probably going to is going to have a better record than any Big Ten team. Mm-hmm. And that's because Big Ten is going to knock each other around. Uh, they're going to take tough losses. And there's a there's a way, I would say, way higher chance that, that a, a team in the Big Ten falls multiple times than, than yeah. Villanova falls well, in the Big East. Nothing against the Big East, but it's just that Villanova just looks like far and away the best team right now. Yeah, and it's just that in the Big Ten right now, they're going to play bumper cars. Like we saw we – saw, Minnesota take down Iowa, which we'll, we'll just move into right now, I guess. Like Minnesota, Mar- led by Marcus Carr. Marcus Carr, more power, no, more horsepower than a Mustang, <laughs> as I say on Twitter. But um, we saw him lead them to a very impressive win over Iowa. They drained three threes with under a minute left mm-hmm. to force overtime, and it was a super impressive win. For the Gophers, Minnesota's Golden ranked. Gophers. Minnesota's ranked twenty first. How do we feel about that? I'm personally not the biggest Minnesota fan. I mean, well, the problem got... with the ranking system for me is that losing one game doesn't mean you're worse than another team. You know, yeah. Like that's why when Iowa lost to um uh, Gonzaga, I didn't move them down that far mm-hmm. because that doesn't make them a worse team. They just ran into a like the most disciplined team in college basketball and the best team and them losing that game doesn't mean like, Oh, they're worse than Kansas or, Oh, they're worse than Villanova. You know, like they still work as good of a unit as they still work as a unit just as well. It's just that they didn't play well in that specific scenario. Yeah, and the thing talking about Minnesota's ranking, obviously same. I mean, they're good. good. They're they're like what eight and one. Minnesota? Yeah, yeah, they're okay, eight so and that's, one. They're that's only a good lost, record. That's a solid record. Their loss, though, is a thirty-point obliteration from Illinois. So obviously, that's not a good look. They beat St. Louis. I mean, they're going to play Michigan State. We'll see how that that we'll see how that ends mm-hmm. up. But hosting Michigan State, see if they can protect home court. Michigan State obviously lost a couple in a row. Uh, so you've been get back on track. Uh, in, in the barn, I love the barn, man. I mean, the the locker rooms being underground, walking up the stairs. I just miss fans in the barn, honestly, though, because I feel like it was one of the most underrated atmospheres in the Big Ten. Yeah, like Minnesota, that that's a really fun arena to watch a game in. The barn in Minnesota, yeah. like I like the floor; it's really interesting, and I do like how the benches it and is. stuff. It is Minnesota like below the floor. We talked about their non-conference. Boston College, five-point win against Boston College, eight-point win against St. Louis, and then moving to conference play, and, and they're one-and-one one with a win against Iowa and a loss against Illinois. I don't really understand what's behind this ranking other than, obviously, the win at home against Iowa in, in overtime, nonetheless. So it wasn't like they handled them like Northwestern did against Michigan State. So don't really understand this one. Not going to I mean, until they pick up a couple more yeah. big wins, but – Minnesota, obviously, uh, we'll we'll see how they roll. Yeah, I still think that they're a fine team, but uh, 
moving on to some other games um, over the past week or so, uh, Gonzaga absolutely manhandled Virginia. Like, mm-hmm. there's no one in the country that that even touches them. Like, we both can agree that Baylor is a very solid team and the second best team in the country, but Gonzaga is just. I mean, that's that's just why I want to see them play because they're obviously they just show no sign of like getting any worse. You know, I mean, just dropping there. Like, how can you stop them? They do everything well. Like, like, what are you gonna do to stop them? Yeah, obviously, because you can't you can't put two guys on you can't put two guys on Corey Kispert because that leaves. Jalen Suggs open and vice versa. That leaves Joel Ayayi open. You have Antoine Watson working in the post and you have Drew Timmy working in the post. Then you have Andrew Nebhard coming off the bench. So like, many weapons for them. So many weapons for them. Like, and what are you going to do? We talked about Corey Kisper and Corey Kisper dropped a line that I thought was pretty interesting. And it was, I'm never more open than when you first catch the ball, which is true. If you can catch the ball in stride and launch it like Corey Kispert did against Virginia, knock down nine threes, which was incredible. If you can step in into a pass and catch and shoot and make it at a high at a high rate like Corey Kispert did against Virginia, yep. You know that that's obviously that stuff that that some of the best shooters can do in the NBA and in college basketball, and then you add a a six seven, you know hybrid forward you know it's gonna you know that's that's lethal because i mean quick kisper could put on the deck uh, there's not yeah. a lot of i guess there's just not a lot of defensive matchups i think that just fare well for him you know if you want someone you know you can match him with a big who, who can match his post match his post presence but you know can't really step out behind the arc and guard him shooting the three and then you can have someone that can step out and guard him uh, on the perimeter, but then, you know, obviously cannot uh, handle him down low. So Corey Kispert's going to be a hard matchup for anyone at that. He's about six, eight. So yeah, uh, nine for 13 is obviously uh, a pretty impressive, one of the most impressive performances we've seen in the regular season so far. Uh, he's going to give Luca Garza a run for his money. Honestly. I mean, if, if Luca Garza wins, it's just because Corey Kispert has so many other uh, weapons around him, but, no, I mean yeah, Gonzaga. No one's beating Gonzaga, and, and hopefully, hopefully we get to see them reschedule that game against Baylor. But yeah, if yeah. not, I mean we just saw them just absolutely obliterate a top twenty-five program that's been known for their defense for the past uh, ever since Two decades. Yeah, like it's since, it's, since um, Tony, Tony Bennett got there. But while we were talking about Corey Kisper and like all of his weapons, we've seen Jalen Suggs over the past couple of games emerge as the best freshman in the country. In my opinion, I said this after the Kansas game. I said this after the Auburn game, he is the premier freshman in the country. Cade Cunningham is great. So is Greg Brown, but Jalen Suggs is built for this. He is NBA ready, right? You see him hit those step back threes from NBA range like he did against Iowa. Mm -hmm. You and I have both said that he has it. He doesn't ever make bad bad decisions. He rarely makes the wrong play. He's disciplined. He's a good athlete. He's a pretty good defender. He can score at all three levels. Like he's a good passer. Like, what can't this kid do? Yeah, you know, we've seen him. Obviously, he he protects the ball. He's got a good handle. He's got a good shot. Uh, he's a well-rounded player. Uh, he's he's athletic. So no, obviously he's led. He's a uh, 
couldn't think of many other point guards in the country and Gonzaga would rather have, honestly, uh, than Jalen Slugs because he can do everything. Uh, but no, I, I would agree. I would agree. Probably the best freshman in the country so far. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's the best draft prospect per se. I'd still say that's Cade Cunningham, Cunningham. but Jalen sucks is closing. He's definitely closing in on him. I mean, Cade Cunningham's a, he reminds me of Ben Simmons just because of how big of a point guard he is, but he can also Ben Simmons, but he can shoot. Yeah. So no, I'd agree. Cade Cunningham still, I would say is the best draft prospect. It's hard. It's hard to overlook that, but uh, I think that's where we go from uh, Gonzaga obliteration there. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking ahead at this week in college basketball, obviously <laughs> we've already talked. We've already talked about the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to see good games there. We're going to see them all season. So, and a big game for this week: Tennessee, Missouri. Both teams coming in at six and zero. Uh, Missouri has taken the country by storm. They're ranked in the top 15. Kwanzaa Martin's leading them. No one expected them. They've had big wins against Oregon, big wins against Illinois, picked up a good win against a solid mid-major program in Bradley. And they have their first, I would say, really, really, really tough test in Tennessee. And Tennessee uh, can say the same vice versa about Missouri. Tennessee's been... Uh, their closest, uh, I would say, opponent was, was Cincinnati or Colorado, and you know they handled them fairly easily. So uh, Wednesday night, uh, that game's on the SEC Network, Tennessee, Missouri, in Columbia. Mm-hmm. I, I think Tennessee takes this one. Uh, I like Yves Pones. I like John Fulkerson. Uh, I think that they'll. I think that they'll shut down. I think they'll go on the road and, and beat Missouri, but. Uh, you know, that's so I still have a lot. I think I still think Missouri's a top 25 program. I just yeah. think that they'll uh end up end up going down this week. Conzo Martin has done such an awesome job mm-hmm. this year with Missouri. Like, we thought they were going to be a bottom feeding team, and they're well inside the top 20 at this point. And that's going to be a fun game to watch, but I do agree with you. I think Tennessee comes away with the win, they're just a lot deeper. They're it's Tennessee. Like they're, they are one of the top teams in the country. Typically now for the past two or three years, they've been, but yeah, I think they come away with it. And then we'll just talk about to kick off the new year on January 2nd. There's two top 25 matchups, Texas at Kansas. That's sure to be a great one. Kansas after that opening lost in Zaga, they've gotten back on track. They look good. Texas won Maui. They still look good, even though they took that tough loss uh, at home to Villanova. Uh, mm-hmm. That'll be that'll be sure to be an excellent game. Kansas picked up a couple big wins. Texas can say the same. Texas and uh, not Texas. I mean, uh, Kansas and Gonzaga both have four ranked wins this season, which leads that's the absurd. So yeah, uh, and then lastly, Duke at Florida State. Uh, that game will be at 8 p.m. on ESPN2. Uh, Duke's had a lot go on this season. Obviously, they've been in the headlines quite a bit, not just because they're Duke, but because of Coach K's uh, vocalness about uh, getting the season canceled uh, after they've taken tough losses to two Big Ten schools, Michigan State and Illinois. Uh, but Florida State looks solid outside of their loss to UCF. Uh, they've looked really well, beat IU, beat Florida, uh, so we'll see. We'll see mm-hmm. what they can do in this one. 
but those are two matchups. And then obviously just if you're looking for a good matchup, just tune into the Big Ten, honestly, because mm-hmm. not every game. Always. There all there there will always be uh, good games in the Big Ten. We know this. Absolutely. So I think that'll do it for this episode of CBB365. Big but we got to do our we got to do our thing. We got to do our alma. One big thing. Our one big thing of the week. Okay. Our one great takeaway. Our one great takeaway. This one will just be me and Patrick. Jake Klein will not be involved in this one great takeaway. But, uh, Patrick, would you like to kick it off or would you like me to kick it off? You can kick it off. I'm going to kick it off with college basketball adapting in the coronavirus season uh, and adding Christmas Day games. Uh, Big Ten, shout out to the Big Ten. That's really my one big takeaway is the Big Ten adding Christmas day games, having all of the college basketball landscape, uh, make sure to be tuning into this one on Christmas, these games on Christmas day. Uh, I think that they got, I think the big 10 got a lot of attention as a whole. Uh, and you talked about some guys that, that had great performances. I think Demetri Trice, uh, who had a big game for Wisconsin, obviously he'll, uh, uh, he's kind of gotten, gotten the country's attention mm-hmm. just because of his good game. And then Minnesota, Clearly, they got a lot of people's attentions enough to be ranked in the AP Top 25. So my one big great takeaway or something I liked from this week uh, would be the Big Ten adapting to the strange season and adding the uh, adding the Christmas Day slate. Mm-hmm. And my um, one great takeaway for this week is uh, Brandon Johnson of the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Yep. who had 26 points on Christmas Day and hit a flurry of clutch threes coming down the stretch. But this is my one great thing because the game before, he had zero points, put up a goose egg. And that, like, that to me is amazing. Like the guy yeah. comes in one game, comes in clutch, and has zero points the one game, obviously the Western Michigan transfer, and he comes in the next game and has – 20 what was it 26 26 shot hit eight threes eight for nine missed yeah, one yeah. three so obviously big clutch performance from him mm-hmm. uh coming off the bench like you said uh great job overcoming adversity not having the best game still picking your head up christmas day prime time against iowa and having an excellent game so i like that one brandon johnson uh shout out to you and I think that'll do it. Uh, like I said, big thank you to ESPN's Chris Spatola for joining us on today's episode of CBB365. It was great to hear from him. Uh, keep an eye out. Danny Manning uh, soon for CBB365. Uh, and, yeah, obviously, you know where to find us on our social medias at CBB365pod. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year to all of you listening. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of CBB365. For Patrick Dallahan, I'm Adam Hipsky, and thank you for listening.